Revelation 12:11 And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Welcome to By the Word of Their Testimony and here is your host Etienne McClintock. Dear listener, greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for joining me on the program again today. Always a pleasure to have your company. And I also have the company of a special guest in the studio here at Morissette. His name is Matthew Smith. Matthew, thank you for coming on the program. Thank you, Eddie, and it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Now, I've actually had you recommended by some friends of yours. Mm -hmm. I think you might be doing a program together. Can you tell us what you're currently doing? Yes. Well, previously previously to what I'm currently doing, I worked as a storeman at Costco for seven years, and now I'm studying theology at Avondale College. Well, that's quite a difference going from Costco, working in the store, and now studying theology. Definitely is. It's quite the... uh, uh, Peter being a fisherman and then becoming a disciple of Christ. Amen. The Lord has called people from fishing boats. The Lord has called people from the plow. The Lord has called people from all walks of life. You know, one person was a tax collector. Another person who wrote a couple of the books in the New Testament, he was actually a physician. We talk about Luke. That's right. So every every walk of life the Lord has called us from. So that's encouraging, you know. The Lord can use every single one of us, and no one can actually say, Lord, I am not worthy or I'm not good enough, or Lord, my... My education is too high. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I just put up my hand and I say, here I am, Lord, send me. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm fascinated to hear how the Lord placed a call on your life that you are now studying the ministry. I mean, that, that will be a wonderful story to tell. Mm-hmm. But perhaps before we get there, what we can do is just step back and you can tell us where you're born and, uh, you know, family influences and so on. Certainly. So I was born to a Australian gentleman uh, who actually is my my stepdad. Oh, um, but I see him as father. Okay. And my mother's from the South Pacific Islands, uh, in particular the Cook Islands. Oh, uh, okay, Kiorana. Thank you, Kiorana. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was born in Melbourne, in Footscray, believe it or not. So, Footscray? Yeah, in Footscray. So I'm, I'm a Melbourneite, so Australian. Yeah, wow. But to look at me, like you'll see a Pacific Islander skin. Yes. So I'm quite the coconut. I am <laughs> brown on the outside, white on the inside. <laughs> oh, okay, wonderful. Right, so you're a, okay. You're so you're Melbourne. So when people see you, they think, oh, maybe you're from the Pacific Islands somewhere. But that's your heritage. That's correct. From yeah, my mother, from on your mum's side. But you're a full-blooded Aussie. Full-blooded Aussie, okay. definitely. And uh, I was born in 1976. So you can calculate that to today. I'm I'm 42, turning 43 in October. Oh, okay, fantastic. Okay, so you're brought up in a family. Are you a, a single child, only child, or you're? Uh, I'm actually the eldest of originally five brothers. Okay. Um, the youngest brother passed away, unfortunately, from cot death, sudden oh, infant death yeah. syndrome. And I have uh, three other brothers at the moment. And this will give a clue. Got, they've got religious names. So there's myself, Matthew, and then you've got uh, John and Luke. Okay. The brother that's before me, his name was meant to be Mark, but was changed to Wayne after my father, whose name is Wayne. And that was 
by my mum's request. Ah, uh, okay, right. I was going to say, if you got the names of the gospel and you started with Matthew, I thought they'd be Mark, Luke, and John. But as you said, Mark, unfortunately, um, passed away. It's correct to assume that because um, I tease my brother Wayne by saying to him from time to time, you know, you're meant to be Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, that's fantastic. So the fact that you named after Bible names suggested there would be a, a strong Christian influence in the family? That's right. My father attended a congregational church, so it was one of those uh, Holy Spirit gifts church. Right. And so he came from that background and having a religious connotation to the Bible, he loved the Gospels and he was inspired as such to name his boys after those those Gospels. Okay, fantastic. So when you were brought up, were you typically brought up attending school, uh, you know, Sunday school or Sabbath school, whatever it may be, and attending church and and having regular spiritual conversations in the home? Mm -hmm. I remember attending uh, Sunday school, actually, Mm. uh, through my father. And the things I found that was a bit bizarre is that they were speaking tongues in this kind of church. Okay. And it didn't sit well with me because uh, I couldn't make sense of what they were saying. Right, It even okay. felt uncomfortable as a young young boy. Wow. Um, so as I shared, I was born in Melbourne. Mm. I only lived there for about five years until my father decided to move us all to New South Wales, where I'm currently at ever since then. And he's a scaffolder by trade. So right. he had to go where the, where the work was. And there was plenty of work here in Sydney, plus the reason for the move. Mm. Okay. So as you were growing up, uh, obviously good Christian religious influences, Mm -hmm. some things that perhaps you were questioning at the time as a young person growing up. Definitely. Uh, Were there any other influences in your life that may have been a little bit of a distraction from, you know, walking in the ways of the Lord? Yeah. Initially, I didn't have a deep-seated love for God in the beginning because, as I shared, my mum's from the South Pacific Islands. Mm. And what I'm sharing, uh, it's not to defame her today mm. or anything like that like I love mum um, but she was raised heavy handedly like from her mother right. and therefore that kind of passed on like a cycle onto her sons Understood. so we were raised heavy handedly and and I, I saw as well as my brothers I saw God that way as a bit of a tyrant because of how cruel he was. As a stern to, judge. Yes. Okay. Because Disi- a disciplinarian, basically. Definitely, definitely. Mm. And none of us were attracted to God because the way we saw our mother was the way we saw God. Wow. Okay. Now, that's interesting. I, I read in a, in a book, one of my favorite authors says that, you know, when a child, when a child is um, growing up, mm-hmm. the parent stands uh, for the child as a representative of God. Mm-hmm. And they will actually see God through the parents. So it just shows the awesome responsibility that parents have. Yeah. So you, on the one side, you have uh, the uh, a parent that can be quite a strict disciplinarian, mm-hmm. and the par- the children may not really understand the true benefit of a self-sacrificing love that they can see in their parents. And the parents, of course, are trying to do the best they think they need to do. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, you also have parents who are appear to be quite loving, but they are quite indulgent, and it's a uh, it's a sentimentalism almost where there's no boundaries. There just seems to be a lot of grace. They can get away with a lot of things. And the child can be injured on both sides of the, of the fence. I 100% agree, Eddie. And it's like an analogy likened to when you hold sand in your hand. Mm. If you hold it too tight, you lose it. Mm. If you hold it too loosely, you lose that it runs grain of sand. fingers as well. Yeah. Sure does. And the only way you can maintain it or contain it is if you hold it just right. Mm. And I've seen it in families, experiencing it firsthand from myself, that with mums, he's very strict and 
that you know gave us a sense of, oh, you better make sure you do things right, or else there's punishment. Mm. With Dad, uh, you know, we appreciated the fact that he was very loving. Right. But when we when we were with Dad, it's it's a sense of too much love, and we felt we no could just do whatever, no boundaries. <laughs> okay, we do whatever we want. So there wasn't that balance mm. which is needed in families. And sad for me to to see and and to say, a lot of families don't come with a manual. I mean, they do. There's the Bible. Sure. But how many people turn to that in every home, unfortunately? Yes. And also, you've got to have that right denomination you're going to that's able to point to the way, the truth, and the life, which is Jesus mm, Christ. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yes, so true. And, of course, this is not to demean parents by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm glad you brought up that, you know, that we're not born with a manual. Sometimes parents can be uh, still quite young when they have their first child, you know, and through trial and error. And they try and remember how their parents dealt with things. Um, they try and do their best, but quite often they are influenced by how they were brought up, and that may not have necessarily been the best. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they, you know, there's this recognition of mental illness and things like that today, uh, as as one of the symptoms of society. That's actually like a, a, epidemic. And mm. what I've realised is that it's because the young children are copying are copying the coping stress mechanisms of the parents. Ah, uh, okay. So. There's no kind of manual for the kid to adopt. To, when they're coping with stress, they go, what do we do? I saw dad shout. I shout. I saw dad react violently. I react violently. Or it's mum. I saw mum shout. I mm, shout. Mm. She reacted violently. I react violently. So it's a mould that they... Um, well, they not, copy and emulate what they've seen under those circumstances, yeah. And it happens whether it's consciously or subconsciously. Mm. And, of course, on top of that, we have a, a little bit of an impediment we're born with because we all have a fallen human nature, which is egocentric. Mm-hmm. And if that's not helped and shaped and molded by the parents through their guidance, uh, that gets to be expressed. And I've seen just of late, I've been noticing the free reign that people have been given because discipline in, in many respects has been undermined. Um, you know, the Bible talks about spare the rod and spoil the child. Yes. You know, and we're not talking about obviously abuse, but we're just talking about discipline, loving discipline mm-hmm. uh, that will help shape the direction of the child's life. We now have schools where teachers are being attacked. Teachers are fearing for their life yes. because they're attacked by the students. We have hospitals where the staff are actually going on strike because uh, the, uh, the, the patients coming in are becoming so violent towards them. And we're seeing law and order break down. There's many things around the world where we're seeing that this experiment – which has been uh, set into legislation where you cannot actually spank a child. So I'm not talking about beating because abuse is always wrong, right? Yes. But if, if all else fails, show that there are consequences to bad behavior. Yes. They never learn those bad consequences. You know, and I remember watching two twins. They were hardly a year old, right? These two lovely little girls. A, a good friend of mine in New Zealand had these twins, and they were just playing, and one had got hold of a wooden spoon and started tapping the other one on the head. Oh, my. But, of course, she taps on the head, and it makes a clunk little sound, which sounds quite fascinating. She enjoyed the sound. So the sister who was on the receiving end didn't like it so much. Mm-hmm. Clunked her again, and the other girl started crying, and she just kept on clunking her while the other girl screaming. And she's thinking, I don't know why you're crying. I can't feel a thing. Oh. And quite often, because we don't know there's consequences to bad behavior, she didn't even was know as bad behavior. She's too young for that. Mm. Um, but if there's no consequences, then uh, we keep on perpetuating that bad behavior. And then finally, the law catches up with us one day and go, hang on, there is consequences. You've got to be very careful. So thank you so much for bringing that out. So you brought up in the family, you're the oldest son. That's correct. You've got some other brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there any other family around? And are they influences good or otherwise? Or, Man, f- or friends? I didn't see much of my father's family because most of his family is based in Melbourne. Uh, and his mother was based in Queensland. Right. And I mainly saw my mother's side of the family who actually migrated from New Zealand. Okay. So growing up in that kind of 
family nucleus. It was more actually about being around my mother and actually rarely saw my father because he struggled with alcohol and gambling addictions. So he would go to join the Salvation Army's AA program, Alcoholic Mm. Anonymous, and there was even times he came up here in Morissette where the Salvation Army had a rehabilitation farm. So it was very oh, okay. rare we saw my father. Like it, it was almost like a yearly kind of uh, time I saw him. Mm. He, he was able to leave the property around Christmas and come spend time with us. So I felt very empty not seeing my dad mm. for at least five to ten years. Uh, I couldn't see him that much. Uh, so I was constantly around my mother. The person I did see quite a few times was my grandmother that would come over from New Zealand. Right. And she did have a, quite an influence on me because when she came over – she was strict in terms of doing devotions early in the morning, 6 o'clock, wow. and in the evening, 6 o'clock. Okay. So she was quite religious in that, and nothing would deter her from that constant commitment. Mm. And I saw something about how Grandma would share about Christ, and it kind of made me think, wow, this is a contradiction. or It's contrary to how I've seen God. Because with Mom, we, we better sit still when she does a devotion. Um, if we even speak or laugh or do jokes when she runs devotion, we're... we're Instant consequences. Instantly consequent. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a wooden spoon oh, okay. ready to fly at us. Uh, sometimes the hanger. I call them the nine household weapons of mum because anything is potentially dangerous. Oh, right. <laughs> so I can laugh back at it now. We can laugh at it now, yeah, but, <laughs> but not not then. Yeah, sure. So just to share, just something that was transitional in my life. Mm. I remember one time I was interested and curious to know what inspired my grandmother, and she always would produce this Bible. One time she was out shopping with my mother and I went into her room, which is a bit of a no-no, mm. uh, and I saw her Bible on the bedside table and I said to myself, God, I'm just questioning who you are because the way my mum introduces you, it's a bit cruel mm. and makes me scared of you. But the way my grandmother introduces you, I see a God of love. I want to open this Bible and if you can show me a verse in there that proves to me that you're someone worth knowing mm. and that I can find a sense of value... I'll give you my life. So, wow. I randomly, so yeah. Are you relatively young when you going through this experience? I was about uh, eleven, going okay. to twelve. Wow! And I and I grabbed that Bible and I just randomly opened it, and it landed. Believe it or not, on John three sixteen. That's what you I was looking are at. Kidding me? No. Wow. Maybe your grandmother loved that text as well, and it just that's the natural fall for the Bible. Yeah. But whatever it was, it obviously <laughs> did the right thing and impacted your. Your life. Massively. Like, as it says, it says, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever shall believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Mm. And what I caught in there is that God sent his son, a son that's above this world, to die for me, to give me a chance of eternal life. Mm. And I found a sense of eternal value even, which I didn't have any sense of value in my home. Yeah. And I said to God, Lord, if you love me this much, that you're able to purchase me at the cost of king's blood. Mm. I, I want to follow this king. So show me that you love me from here forward, and I'll devote my life to you. So that's where it all began. Wow, the age of 11 or 12, you even had this conversation. Yes. Because obviously there were some influences there. You heard about God often, and but you saw two elements of how God was demonstrated to you in your life. Mm-hmm. And the one you saw through your grandmother, although there was discipline there, there was also love. There's love. Okay, well, what a profound thing to consider at such a young age. Mm, definitely. And these are yeah. concepts that weren't easily grasped by me and are quite uh, conflicting. Okay. Um, but there were ones I was desperate for and mm. I was longing and thirsting for that I was the one that gave my life first to Christ. 
my brothers took a while, mm. and I'm talking about nearly 10, 10 more years after considering giving their lives to the Lord. Mm. So was, was that if you had to look back, that's the first time you gave your life to the Lord, or was that the beginning of, of a few steps to get there? The beginning of a few steps to get there, definitely. Wow. Because um, later on in life, I had other uh, epiphanies, you could say, mm. um, moments where I, did, I increased my yearning for the Lord. For instance, there was one time when I was going to Shelby High School out west in Sydney, and I had been going through various schools at this time because mum and dad were separated, which initially, unfortunately, ended up in divorce. Mm. And I, I had an interview with the principal, and the principal's basic question was, having a number of islanders in his school, why do you want to come to my school? Yeah. I hope you're not going to be a troublemaker, in other words. Yeah. So what do you want to be? And be serious in your answer, because not only am I the principal, I'm also the mayor of Shelby as well. Oh, wow. I, oh, I tell you, Eddie, and it put me in this position where, Lord, I need your help, because this man has come across as someone significant, like some sort of noble in society. Mm. If you can give me an answer now uh, to give to him that's satisfactory, thank you, because I, I need something important to tell him in terms of what he's asked me, which is, what do I want to be? So, Lord, what, what do I tell him? Mm. What what am I to be? And an impression came in my mind, which is, tell them you want to be a pastor. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I And said, had you thought about being a pastor prior to that at all? No way on earth did I ever want to be a pastor. You mm. see, ever since as a kid, I always wanted to be a police officer and a soldier. Wow. Okay. And there's a story I'd like to share later how my biological father who I come to learn about in the last couple of years, and mm. I got to meet my other half-brothers and sisters in New Zealand. Uh, oh. He was a soldier mm. in the New Zealand Army and became a police officer. So I had those that, feelings in me. How interesting is that? Definitely. See, I didn't even know my Australian father. I didn't know he was my stepfather. I always thought he was my, my father because when I was born, he initially loved me as his own. Mm. Funnily enough, out of his own sons, especially his, his first son to my mum, Wayne, he didn't want to take him out anywhere. He mainly grabbed me. He preferred to take me out to different places. Really? Yeah, I remember being that close to my dad. Mm. And I believe I believe it's God orchestrated, because uh, you know some men don't take too kindly to another man's child. Sure. But he took me as his own. He sounds like a good man in many respects. Definitely. Mm. And funnily enough, I I just had the opportunity to have him come see us recently, the last couple of days, a couple of days ago, and we took him to Ellen White House and took him around Avondale, Avondale College. And my wife works there in the business school. Her name's Diane. And he loved being in that atmosphere. So oh. that love, I think, was vital for me, just to know that I was accepted by someone in the family. Mm. Uh, as I shared earlier, uh, I was heavily, heavily handedly treated by my mother and yeah, such as yeah. that. So it was important. Mm. So um, while you're growing up and you're at school, um, obviously there's, there's spiritual elements coming through and these seem to have a lasting effect on you. Yes. Were there any other distractions? Were there any worldly things, any of the secular things where uh, you, know, you might have been tempted to walk a different route? Yeah. Interesting question, that, and uh, I'm glad you asked that. Funnily enough, you'd think that I was the kind of boy that with all the things that are happening in the home, like a whirlwind and a storm, like you'd think I'd be getting involved with gangs and things like that. Mm. My brothers were. Wow. But myself, I found a way to cope with my, my, my trials, my disciplinary actions and things like that by locking myself away in my room and doing my own sort of studies on top of 
my primary school studies, mm. I'd find a way to do my own assignments. If, if I wanted to learn about whales, I'd grab the encyclopedia books, look about whales, uh, information about them, and research about them. And just I, that was my way of coping. I'd liked academics ever since a kid. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I found out later that my my biological father was like that. Um, even my stepfather, he loves education. Mm. Uh, though he took up a trade and became a scaffolder, he always taught us the times tables. And funny, my, funny enough, my mother always taught us division. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I, I love those um, you know, um, academic parts of mathematics where my brothers, they detested that. Mm. They'd rather go outside, uh, play with bikes. Fortunately, one of my brothers took up stealing a lot, mm. uh, which changed the course of his life. Mm. But I give glory to God because he recently got married in, in February after okay. a life of being in and out of boys' homes and things like that. Mm. And he's happily married and it's made him more stable. Praise um, the Lord. Amen. And, mm. and just my uh, two other brothers, they're the ones I, I, I like to pray about because they're suffering from mental illness, actually, mm. uh, which was actually a common trend in our family. All boys suffered from mental illness. Mm. And I believe that was because of an exposure to constant verbal abuse from my dad and just the physical abuses from my mother mm. uh, contributed to uh, a, a psychological effect on coping with life, which I thank God he helped pull me out of that kind of situation. Wow. Uh, and, you know, and we all have different personalities and different coping mechanisms. Yeah. And uh, sometimes, you know, people uh, can be more introverted. Some people are more extroverted and they find their energy in different ways. You know, uh, people who are introverted are drained when they're with other people. Mm-hmm. It sounded, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounded that you were quite happy to be by yourself and spend some time just in the books and that and then just go through your own mental processes rather than sharing it with too many people yeah. and being out there, um, you know, playing with the other kids out in the street all the time? Yeah, definitely. And I didn't realize that this strong side of being um, by myself to, to do academic studies, my own academic studies, it was from my biological father. He was renowned as being a very intelligent man hmm. and he loved his academic studies, uh, went through colleges and what have you and decided to become uh, like a a personnel for the New Zealand Army and what have you, become okay. a police officer, ended up becoming a taxi driver, uh, to name a few things. But unfortunately, his side of the story is he he he'd actually died from depression, believe it or not. Oh. And um, he struggled with uh, violence as well. Oh. Uh, and I guess something about the Army does that to a person, gives them these narcissistic traits. And he also had a thing for hurting his son violently. I mean, oh. It's a long story in there that will lead us down a garden path, so I won't open too much of that bottle. Um, But just knowing that he loves studies kind of made me understand who I am a lot more. And how I recently met my half-brothers in that in 2016, I saw a lot of my father's love as Mm. well because they're quite a strongly bounded family. Where fortunately, my brothers here were not very close. I seem to pursue them more than they would pursue me. Uh, But there's still a respect there. Mm. Whereas my half brothers and sisters in New Zealand is a strong family nucleus. Like okay. they had the strong desire to know each other, stay together, keep in contact, and it helps me, helps me to understand a lot more mm. about my personality as well and who I am. Okay, that's wonderful. I mean, I spent quite a few years in New Zealand and had uh, many many Pacific Island friends, and I, I noticed that strong nucleus amongst the family. Mm. Not only the immediate household family, but also you know broader cousins and uncles and aunts. And there was a big sense of community. Although they were no longer 
in the Pacific Islands and the tropics, so we're in New Zealand, I guess, which is the Pacific, South Pacific Island. Yes. Um, those cultural values still remain. And uh, I found it quite beautiful just to see that level of support. If somebody's got a problem, the family come together and they help. They do. They mm. do. And that's indeed there. I remember you were sharing earlier about how different impacts on one's life from his, their family upbringings can lead the person to be either introverted or extroverted. Mm. I was actually quite the introvert. Uh, right. I was quite timid and I was quite shy. And you can imagine that as such from a boy that's been exposed to a heavy hand, mm. um, locked up inside. That It took a lady in, in, at Balmain High School when I was in year seven she noticed that every time I came, I didn't really smile that much, mm. and I was quite reserved, very quiet. And one day, I think she might have got annoyed by me coming and just being very quiet and signing in. She said, Matthew, can you smile for me? And I let her this big smile. I went, you know, <laughs> I smiled, and, and she goes, there's a beautiful boy in you. And that changed my life. Really? Just that one encounter like that? One encounter from a lady who marked the... Um, uh, the roles you worked in admin. If you're mm. late, she tells you to to sign the late book. You get those slips that tells you you're coming late to class. You get too many of them, you end up in afternoon attention detention. Uh, okay. <laughs> and she she burst my bubble, you could mm. say, confidence wise, and value wise, I'd say, and it just made a difference to me. It's sometimes it's incredible how some of the, which we consider just something small and inconsequential can have a huge impact on us on oh. us as a person. Just someone just taking the time. And just saying a little word of encouragement like that, how much difference it can make, especially for young people who their brain plasticity is still, you know, the, the brain's still developing, you know, <laughs> and, and the impact that they could have is remarkable. That's right. And what she did for me was so transforming. And it's coming from a person that's not Christian, I don't think, as such. Uh, she never talked about God. But you could see she's someone that looks at the kids that come through and she wanders about. Yeah, what kind of self-worth did I have? Mm. And she obviously saw that mine was damaged, which it was, and that one statement, yeah, give me a smile, it broke me out of my, my world that I was in, which was full of turmoil. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, so, dear listener, I mean, when we uh, interact with one another, sometimes just a small word of encouragement. It may even seem inconsequential, but it said with the right attitude and the right spirit can have a profound effect on those we come in contact with. Definitely. And, you know, every morning when I uh, when I may have my devotions and I spend time with the Lord, I always ask the Lord to give me the right spirit and the right attitude. Because mm. by nature, I don't have it. No, never I'm, do I'm I. Sel- I'm selfish by nature. Oh. Okay, well, okay. You, you can confirm the fact that, you know, we have a, a similar nature. And it's egocentric. But the Lord can transform and change us. Not only that, if he gives us his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can use and speak through us to bring in encouragement. Because God knows exactly what is happening in the other person's life. And it's so easy for us at times just to... To make a judgment call, not knowing the background of the person. And, you know, I read uh, recently in a book, one of my favorite authors, again, where God actually considers the background of people when he deals with them. Yeah, 100%. You know, I I believe in that that saying that says God doesn't look at who you are now, but he looks at who you'll become. Through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. I praise God that he looks through us through the lens of Christ, especially when we're giving our lives to him. Yeah, and he's he's the kind of God I've come to realize that he's been in the background as well as the foreground. Mm. And he's been carrying you all this time through your life's journey, especially with times in my life I felt alone and abandoned. Yes. Those are the times he's actually been there the most when looking back. Because believe it or not, uh, Eddie and like, I, I believe that even though I had that calling to become a minister, as I shared with the principal, mm. 
I actually did a Jonah. Uh, did you really? I did. This time I went into the world because um, okay. these are the high school years, you see. Mm. Well, listen, we've just got to take a break here, and I would love to hear that story about how you did a Jonah for a while down the Lord. Mm. Dear listener, thank you for staying with us here on By the Word of Their Testimony. My special guest in the studio is Matthew Smith. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay tuned. Look again. Can you see me? God tells us in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. The Bible tells us many stories of people who were in the very presence of God, but were completely unaware of it. For example, in Genesis 28, we find a story about Jacob. He's been traveling all day. His mind's occupied with fleeing from Esau. And as night comes, he finds a place to sleep. And during the night, he receives that famous dream of the ladder connecting heaven to earth. When he wakes up, he realized he had missed the opportunity of seeing God around him. And he exclaims in verse 16, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And then in the New Testament, Jesus' own disciples, they didn't even recognize that they were walking with him on the road to Emmaus. Sometimes as we read these stories, we can say to ourselves, how could they not know that they were in the very presence of God? And yet, what about us? What causes us to miss God's presence and activity in our daily life? Over the next few episodes, we're going to explore ways to see God's presence in our daily life. And I guarantee you that as you become more aware of God's presence throughout the day and in your life, worry, discouragement, fear will lose their power over you. So to start today, try and look for what God is doing right in front of you. And remember, live your faith. Have a blessed day. Dear listener, you are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony. My special guest in the studio is Matthew Smith. Now, Matthew, just before the break, you were telling us about your life and how you were brought up and the influences of your life, your biological father, your adopted father, the influences of your mum in your life and also your, your brothers and how you had coping mechanisms with some difficult challenges in your life. Mm-hmm. And just before the break, you actually told us that you had a Jonah experience. Now, Jonah was someone called by God and then took off somewhere, to somewhere in a different direction. Tell us a little bit about that. What did you mean by your Jonah experience? Oh, uh, yes. Well, being in high school, I I took up the guitar. And I learned basic chords through an uncle of mine who, who showed me the basic you know, open chord of C, open chord of A and D, which later, later progressed through other cousins of minor islanders into all the other chords, where my interest in the guitar got so addictive that I would take time off school and jig a lot. Wag school, uh, as Australian references, and to spend time like is that days. what the word jig means? Is to to wag school? Yeah, it means to wag school. Oh, okay, <laughs> so to be absent without permission. Pretty much, <laughs> other than my own, <laughs> and yeah. I would just spend hours in in my room trying to develop my craft and invent. Actually, 
different chords by experience and experimenting and it, it led me to today where I've actually been invited to various churches to play special items with my family and they would, we would all sing together while, while I played the guitar. So I like classical influences, I like um, flamenco influences. But in the high school, we had a school band, and that gift for the guitar got me in trouble with the ladies. So right. uh, if they hear, hear the word groupies, it's yeah. quite true. Next, you know, all of a sudden when you're performing in front of the school, in front of all the kids, and you've got this effect, especially with the ladies that want to know who you are. Um, they just want to date you immediately. There's not even a, a the, quiz question to go through. That is to. incredible. <laughs> I've noticed that the people who were very popular in school were the ones who were the jocks, like the sports stars, mm -hmm. the ones who had athletic ability, and then the musicians. Yes. Yeah. And um, I call it, it's it's uh, the gloss effect. So it has this image on the outside. Right. And you don't even look at, at the damaged goods in a lot of these artists, including, including mm, myself. Mm. And this led to me being married to my first wife uh, because she took an interest in who I am and how that eventuated is the drummer in my band liked this girl. Mm. We were so close. He wanted us to uh, to be so so connected that he wanted me to date his girlfriend, his girlfriend's sister. Right, okay. <laughs> and once upon a time, we actually became in-laws because he married his girlfriend and I married the sister. Oh. And this was uh, a, a good and a not-so-good thing. So mm. the not-so-good thing is uh, we had a child out of wedlock, mm. which is my eldest son, and and then later on, it, it ended up in divorce. That That's how oh. bad it became. So... I, f I fell out of church. I got involved with um, playing with, with out-of-school bands mm. even. One time I had a, uh, a recording contract with a lady that produced one of the successful bands in New Zealand whose name was Culture. And uh, her name was Elvira. I remember her name. And the group of friends I was with uh, became so successful in that group, this other group in America named Casey and Jojo, they came out and they were looking for a an act that came on before they came out. And uh, our group, which is called Attitude, uh, they won uh, a slot in that concert. And even though I'm talking about secular things, out of a group of all artists in Australia, uh, nationwide, uh, I wrote a song that actually got that group to become the second act before uh, KSC and JoJo came out. You wrote the song? I did, I did. And it's funny, it was a Cook Islander song mm. that I changed into a um, an up-to-date R&B song. Uh, so not proud of the effect that that song would have had, um, but this to give you an idea of how immersed I was in the music world mm. back then. And I, as I shared, that ended up in divorce. And there's a story in there I'd really like to share how that ended up in divorce. My first wife, she did not know I had um, addictions. Mm. And what I did not realize is I, I took up escapism. So I, I had this, you know, you think it would be horses or, or uh, carties, they would say, uh, at the um, pubs. But I didn't have those addictions. I had actually computer game addictions, wow. arcade game addictions. Mm. And I didn't realize at the time, but that was my way of escaping from reality. Mm. That one time my, my first wife said, here's $20. Please get us pizza for me and Devonte, which is my my oldest son, and my first son too. And I said, sure. Went across to the shops. Instead of going to get pizza, I blew it on the, at an arcade game parlor. Wow. That began my spiral into what they call a, a breakdown, a nervous breakdown. Because mm. I was imagining when I got home, my wife's really going to lecture me. But when I got home, 
it was beyond that. She she really exploded, which yeah. is understandable. It was her right to do so, because I didn't put family first. I put myself first. Yes. And as we were talking about earlier on about egocentricism, that mm. I was egocentric. That I felt so guilty. I closed up on the inside, didn't talk to anyone, and I couldn't fall asleep. And I mm. started cleaning the house all hours of the night. And for one week. I spiraled into a delusional sort of mental state mm. because my mind was getting any rest, and that resulted me into going to Bungarabi Hospital in Blacktown uh, into my first entry as a as a mentally depressed person. Wow! Yep. So incredible. Yeah. And uh, did you at that time then uh, become aware of the fact that this was just not normal behaviour, was something that was driving you an addiction that uh, you were struggling to break from? I knew the addiction was bad, but I didn't realise how bad it would become. Like mm. I didn't realise the consequences were. You just thought you really liked playing spacey games, or parlor games. Spacey yeah. Games, yeah. But I knew there was something wrong because I was blowing money. Like uh, sometimes I get my my benefit. You know, they call it the dole back then. Yes. Uh, Centrelink payment was back then. It was called Social Security, and I could blow a ho- like at least half of that or more on uh, computer games. It's because of, that was a habit I took up when I was living with my father. And uh, when I get paid my off study money, I, I could do the same thing. Shout out a mate with me to go to an arcade game parlor and use it on food. And just it was more about the euphoria mm. um, from what these games gave and their mm. counterfeit feeling. The whole thing's not real. The games are not real themselves. Okay, interesting. You should mention that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what happens is you're living in a like almost like a fantasy it's a, world. It's a fantasy world. This is real to you because you're experiencing it, but the experience is based on something that's fictitious. Yeah, and it's called coping, you know, coping with reality. I couldn't mm. cope with reality. Like, you know, now I'm a father. Wow. I'm a young father. I'm, I'm, I'm in my early 20s. I'm a young husband because mm. I'm getting married. And I couldn't cope with being a husband, being a dad, because I didn't have too much of that experience in my life. So I wasn't this so resilient the- yeah, the, the pressures were getting to you, but did you ever speak to anybody about it? Or was there like a facade and saying, look, I'm fine, I'm coping, I'm the man? And uh, yes, but really, but behind all of that, there were some real challenges and stressful experiences for you to go through. Exactly. Both, both questions are right. Like, I had no one there to uh, help me, like to talk to and open up about these things. Mm. Back then, it wasn't a, um, a diagnosis or a condition as such that was broad viewed and it was mostly discussed um, so it was quite an isolated uh, situation that I was going through Yeah. so I had to cope by myself and I was going through a facade as you said mm. like thinking everything's okay on the exterior but inside I'm, I'm stressing like yes. uh, I'm not coping and anything I can think to do is press the escape button get to the arcade parlour and escape and feel good because I was feeling bad because um, mm. I, I didn't know how to cope at home right. you know, in fact when I come home I feel like a loser uh, yeah. Uh, funny thing with my mum, there's a bit of OCD in terms of you better make sure the house is clean. Mm. But the after effect is when I'm married to my first wife, I don't want to clean at all. It's almost like I want a break. I deserve it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've had enough of that strict discipline. You just want to have a little bit of freedom now. That's right. Okay. But then you know you're going to get that nagging. <laughs> you get that uh, unsatisfied wife syndrome, that sort of thing. Yes. That when I came home and I didn't. Um, I, I, I didn't bring back the pizza. It's like my subconscious came to the forefront of my mind saying, now you better clean the house. 
So I kept cleaning ridiculously. That's like, how you made up for it. Yeah. Try to make up for trying it. Trying to deal with the guilt, mm. which actually worsened it because later on I started getting even religiously delusional. I started thinking that uh, I'm Christ and things like that. Wow. Uh, and so I would have a serious of bouts of depression that landed me in hospital on numerous occasions. Mm. It wasn't just my first entry. And in fact, with my first wife, it was about three times. Mm. Now, after I dated my, my, my second wife, who I'm with now, we were courting for seven years, which is mm. good. Yes. But we broke up, got together, broke up, and I had actually serious of bouts of depression with her too. I was mm. landing in hospital about maybe four plus times. The difference is, with my first wife, two times is too many. Mm. Um, and so that that initially ended up in divorce. Okay. Uh, with my second uh, partner, Diane, my second wife, in our courting stages, she had a stubborn, enduring love for me. There were times when I when I had my first breakdown with her. Her parents even said, "We don't want you to know him. He's dangerous. Not good for you." And I understand mm. that because you uh, fear what you don't know. Mm. But um, it come to a point when I was in there with. When I was going off with my, my uh, girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, on the second, third, third situation, I said to God, you know, Lord, this woman's going to leave me soon, like my first wife. I just want to throw the towel in. You know, I just want to give up. I don't know why I end up in these places. But if you can do for me what you did for Elijah when he said, you know, I'm no no good as my my, my forefathers. I'm, I'm, I'm just as bad as them. Mm. Please take my life. Mm. <laughs> so it's another way of saying I don't want to commit suicide, but if you can do it for me, that'd be great. But he revealed himself and he said, you know, Matthew, I'm going to show you your life. I'm going to show you the reasons why you end up in here. And if you trust me, I'll turn your life for the better. And um, mm. I'll lead you to places you've not seen. So that's now the second uh, significant encounter you've shared where you've sort of had a conversation with the Lord. The first one where you're about 11, 12 years old. Yes. And now this is the other big one as well that stands out for you in your mind. Yeah. In regards to so, what what drove you to to that point? Was it just simply desperation? Were you actively involved in the church, or were you actively connected to the Lord at that time? Yeah. See, um, when I shared that I left church because I got married young to my first uh, wife, mm. I was so much in the world then. I left I left church, and uh, one time my cousin, his name's Jerome, he saw me uh, at some place with my guitar and he said to me Matt can you come to Blacktown Church we're looking for a praise and worship person and I know your skills in the guitar would be so appreciated can you mm. come and I did I, I joined him and uh, was a part of his praise and worship team and I said Lord you know uh, see at that time I, I was actually divorced right. uh, not long afterwards and I said Lord I need to find someone I'm not trying to say you're not enough but I need to be to be in contact with someone who's you knows my situation, and I came across a young man named Sixty. His name is, and Sixty. He he actually had a divorce as well, oh. but we became such soulmates because we could identify with our divorces. See, right. And he was a spiritual man, mm. and he discipled me into the Word to the point where one time they were looking for a new Sabbath school leader for the youth department, mm. and there was about thirty youth at Blacktown. And when they're asking who would like to be uh, the next Sabbath school youth leader, and no one put their hand up, and I thought, this is wrong. There's a lot of young people here that have been here for years. I've just turned up. <laughs> I've been only here for a couple of weeks. Put my hand up. I'll do it. It was a great decision and a very but like nerve-wracking bad decision because when I did right. my first Sabbath school, I, I, I said to everyone, let's go look at the story of the um, 
um, the Good Samaritan, mm. and we're actually looking at the story of the prodigal son. Oh, okay. I was <laughs> <laughs> sweating buckets. Oh. Um, but this developed my love for church, that when my mate six to, uh, when he decided to leave Australia to go to New Zealand, because uh, that was his way of bringing his wife uh, from the Philippines to, to go through the immigration processes, which was easier by him becoming a citizen in New Zealand. Mm. Before he left, he gave his position as a deacon to me. So he said to the board, oh, look, I want to give my, my uh, request that you consider Matthew to be a deacon. And so I became a deacon. So later on, it led me to being a, um, um, a Sabbath school sort of uh, coordinator. Mm. Through the years, it allowed me to teach the early teens, the juniors, and then it got me involved to the point where I was able to teach even the adult Sabbath school lessons. Um, actually made me the youngest elder in Blacktown Church. Wow. And then I went to a program at Waitara Church. It was called Louis Torres's Soul Winning Evangelism uh, and Training Course. And right. I did that in 2001. And that course inspired me to have a love for Bible work. Hmm. And there was a young man that I met at Blacktown. He was doing his internship at Blacktown. His name's Gideon. And he took me out on the doors, just going door to door. Right. And I developed such a love for going on the doors. Hmm. Now, through the years later on, I'm talking about five years later, I come across a, a man named Johnny Wong at Waitara Church. Waitara, okay. he, did a, he did a workshop on care groups. Hmm. And I so loved care groups because it dealt with making sure you had seekers and, and uh, unchurched people in your hmm. care group, not hmm. just... Uh, it's not just to uh, to cater to the choir. Yeah, yeah, because to bring new people and share the love of Jesus with them. Yeah, it's funny, Tim. There was a, like a, a bit of a analogy where if you have a Bible study that's with your own church members, it's likened to the metaphor of a of a shop, a takeaway shop mm. that has its employees has a sign on the door that's meant to say open, but it's closed. Right. And the um, the the shop owner is is serving fish and chips to his to his workers. Mm. And it's saying like that's their spiritual gluttony when you just start a club with your own church people, but you're not actually actively involved in seeking the lost, right. as God has commissioned us to do for His Son Jesus. Mm. And that just clicked with me, resonated with me, that I had I had run care groups for about uh, at least five six years. Mm. Began with Tugangabi Church, who took on that idea uh, through Pastor Roger Vince, and and. It started with uh, group members as, as in the beginning. Later on, I started it in my home. We had about at least three baptisms from our care groups. Praise the Lord. I did, and definitely. And it just inspired me to be a volunteer Bible worker. I was trained by, um, it was an assistant pastor at Waitara at, at the time, mm. who gave this course on Bible working. And I, and I taught my church that. And then I was going to these um, workshops that was run by uh, GYC. Uh, with their Sydney brand called AYC, uh, which was, was called the Aventus U Conference. Um, and I went to these four-day sessions, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, with these great speakers that would come out through the years, such as David Asherick, John Lomacang, um, you had Ivan Wires, you mm. had Louis Therese there, even had uh, Pastor Gary Kent, our homegrown speakers there. Yes. And they were teaching all these wonderful workshops. And the one that got me the most, that was the most profound and had the biggest impact on me, was one by Dr. Neil Nedley. Okay. Yeah, from our depression recovery program. Yeah. And I ended up doing his program, and I've done his, um, his uh, I think there's a director's course and, a, and an assistant course. I've done mm. the assistant one. I said to myself, if I had done that program in my younger years, I wouldn't have had depression not once. 
Really? That's how much I vouch for his program. Wow, incredible. And uh, yeah, What a wonderful program. And I know there's programs around the country in Australia and New Zealand that are being run. And if you're interested in one of those programs and want some help with depression or anxiety, yes. you can attend one of those programs. I think it's a eight, it's eight, eight, week. eight modules, eight weeks. That's right. And it will profoundly change your life. I mean, the success rate is extremely high. It's in the 90s. And I think it's to come at the most appropriate time when uh, depression and anxiety is it's really seen as an epidemic now. Yes, it's a modern-day scourge. It is. Yeah. And uh, the people affected uh, like more and more, and it's, it's rapidly growing fast, especially as we know from the Bible, that as, as the Holy Spirit's being withdrawn from the earth, um, you see more of these mental illnesses increase. Hmm. Which is a given. You can you can easily see that. Um, so as I was sharing, I was sharing. I was involved in Bible working. I'm now an elder in church. Later on, I put in a request to do an evangelism series at Blacktown. And in the beginning stages, this was actually rejected because the, uh, my church would see me and go, "We can't see that in you just yet." Right. Um, so a couple of years later, I tried again, and this time. I was a part of the personal ministries team, and my mates who knew my character and knew what I was getting involved in with uh, involved in with doing my own sort of uh, studying and going through the, this evangelism series at IYC and all the workshops, they saw my hunger and they saw my first to really uh, get myself equipped. Mm. And so I got in touch with Gateway Church in, in Melbourne, right. and they ran an evangelistic training series mm. uh, for a couple of years, and I attended a couple of them put a second proposal for an evangelism series at Blacktown. And I did it under the, the situation where I will help the young people to run the evangelism series. So it was a package you'd give to the young people, the, the youth, but they refused it. And because they refused it, I said, well, can I take it on? Um, and the personal ministries leader, leader then promoted that to the, to the board and to the pastor and the elders. And this time they considered it. They said he can run it. Mm. And we had free baptisms from that series and funnily enough, they were members from my care group. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Those are the three baptisms. And, and it was so uh, uh, positive that one of the attendees, attendees there is Filipino, Filipino friend. His name's Harold. He asked if that series can be done in the Philippines. Hmm. So I said, sure. He later on uh, got back to me and said, can you do a series that is not so uh, complicated? Because we're going to where people still use horse and cart okay. and things like that. And they're simple farmers. Hmm. Now, I remember there was a gentleman named Tony Rikers. Uh, he had a evangelism series. Hmm. And I remember he went to the Philippines. And I looked at his statistics on how he went uh, with his program. And he had a, a 33 decisions from his program. So I rang him up and I asked if I could get his series. Hmm. And he sent it to me by, by USB. And I put that information on my computer and... And I said to my mate, look, I can do the series for you. It's fine, but there's some conditions. And what's that? I would like you to do the series with me. So I wanted him to be trained. Yes. Because if uh, his folk from the Philippines needed an evangelistic preacher, they can call him too because he's got experience. Mm. So I'm all about it's just giving people experience, breaking the egg, letting it come out. And when you get in touch with people's potential, sometimes there's this inspiration that goes, wow, I have a love for this. I love the Lord and love his people, mm. and I want to work for him. And he caught that bug. And well, okay, wonderful. But he felt, due to his confidence this is within him, I can't do this by myself. Can we get another person? Mm. I said, sure. So we got a third person involved, another Cook Islander gentleman uh, who's an evangelist. 
and we ran a, a two and a half week series with a health series on top of that. And we had 50, 56 decisions for baptism in the Philippines. Praise the Lord. Yes. Oh, that's so encouraging. It is, it is. Uh, you know, that's probably one of the greatest joys, isn't it, bringing someone to the Lord? Definitely. And the only thing I can think about that, that I can liken to this uh, journey of mine is the demoniac in the Bible. Mm. Because he was a person that had all these struggles, that fought that. Though he was locked in his tomb, no one could hear his cries to escape from an, a prison-like situation that the demons kept him in. But the Lord heard it. Mm. And then he's taking his disciples across the waters over to Gadassah. And then he frees this man. And after doing that, this man becomes the first evangelist that's called. Yeah. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, the book Desire of Ages, you read about that, don't you? Yes. Yeah. And I look at my life and I think, well, you know, Lord, um, I don't know why you, you, you started with me. And I praise God that you don't give up on me. Mm. And I think about Elijah when he had his uh, experience with depression after Jezebel threatened him. You know, I'll take your life as you took the life of those prophets. I'll make sure you'll be as them. And he took off for the hills. Right. You know, he had his high on on, um, on a Carmel, Mount mm. Carmel, and he had his low uh, when he was threatened by, <laughs> mm. by Jezebel. He took off for the woods. And we know about the New Start principles that he went through to restore him for the next missions. Wow. And um, I found that with the Lord. There's just two things I just wanted to share just to that'll be the nail on the head for my testimony. Okay. And that was when in 2006, when I got married to my wife, Diane, you know, I said to her, Diane, I, I, I hope you know I want to become a minister because mm. that's the calling I've had. And my wife said, I don't want to, I don't want to marry a minister. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, oh, why? It goes, because one, you'll have to go to Avondale. And I know there's no shopping centers and that up there. And it wasn't back right, in, yes. in those years. And uh, thank God there is now because that's kind of, Prompted her to come up oh, okay. <laughs> today, <laughs> and um, and then she said, "Look, you know, why did you get married? Like, you know, why don't we settle down?" And uh, I, look, I'm gonna—I'll be slack saying this, but I wouldn't be honest if I didn't say it. Mm. And I said to my wife, Dan, "Oh, you know, I'm not looking for a wife, darling. I'm looking for a life, which is to be oh, a minister." That's cruel. Oh, I know it's cruel, wow. but I did say that. And if my wife, wife heard this on the radio now, she goes, "Matthew, I'm going to talk to you so much when you go." <laughs> <laughs> um, but she remembers I did say that, and um, I thank God that I sacrificed my my um, burning desire to become a minister. I did, and I cried when I decided to not pursue becoming a minister and just to be married. Hmm. But I'd never given up, and I thought I'd just keep up with church work, and those things wouldn't have resulted if I hadn't, like which is do the care groups, become a Bible worker for the Lord, uh, do the evangelistic series. Okay, so you had a lot of grassroots training, basically, you know, right there from the coalface. I did, I mm. did. And, um, you know, God could see this way in the beginning, and I couldn't. So looking back, as, as I go through my journey, I can see where he's led me. That to wrap up on the second thing, it is basically this. Um, one time my wife said, look, I've noticed for the years you've been asking me, you want to go to Avondale again? And I said, that's correct. And she goes, I'll tell you what, I'm not liking my job where I am at the moment. If I can get a job up there in Newcastle somewhere, you you can go to Avondale. Mm. And I said, well, let's pray about it. Avondale was looking for a worker in their business administration uh, department. And they had this opening there. Now, Diane was the last person of four people to be interviewed, and she got the job. Wow. And she said, you better put your application into Avondale. I've got this job at Avondale. You better quickly get into Avondale. Yeah, okay, so the Lord's answering prayers now for you guys. Yeah. And I said, sure, okay, okay. 
I, I put in my application to, to Avondale. They said I had to do a series of tests. Did one with the pastor um, and he, at his house, Pastor Roger Vince. Didn't pass that test. Mm. So I had to do a general studies program and did a test with uh, one Mr. David, who was the uh, the head lecturer for general studies. Mm. Did it in his office at Avondale, passed that test. And so I did a bridging course in, in uh, general studies which I passed in the first semester and allowed me to do a full bachelor degree, which I'm in currently at the moment at Avondale College. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Matthew, for sharing your testimony with us. Dear listener, we're just going to take a break here and share our contact details. We've mentioned a few things in this program. If you have any questions or any of those, even the depression and anxiety recovery program that we mentioned with Dr. Neil Ledley, please feel free to get in touch with us here and we'll see if we can provide you information of upcoming programs perhaps in your area. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thank you for joining us on By the Word of Their Testimony. If you would like more information about today's program, or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456. Or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Dear listener, we are just about to wrap up our program. You are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony, and my special guest in the studio has been Matthew Smith. Matthew, just as we are closing off this program, your parting words that you want to leave with our dear listener. There's this verse that I came across that's really inspired my heart, and I hold on to dearly. And I learned it through the FAST program that was done by Dan Vitz and encouraged by Johnny Wong in the care group training. And that verse is Jeremiah 31, verse 3, and it says... The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. I love that verse because it tells me that, you know, he's formed me and he's known me in my mother's womb, as it says in the great patriarch books there. In, uh, and yeah. in Psalm 139 also talks about that God, you know, knew you when you were still being fashioned in the womb. And That's correct. Yeah. And Psalms. And it just impresses me because when I look at my life's journey, and I'm not perfect by my... By no means am I perfect. Um, I'm called. I've actually seen myself as God's work in progress, mm. and uh, I have my ups and downs, and I fail Him many times. But His enduring love for me just makes me not give up and to realize to hold on to Him and surrender all to Him and to die to self and mm. things like that. And I know without that, I cannot grow. I cannot live. I cannot have a, a purpose for living. But through Him. I have my value, I have my being, I have my reason to love others as mm. he's loved me. Wonderful. Thank you so much for those encouraging words, Matthew. Thank you for coming on the program. It's been a pleasure and an inspiration to hear your life journey. And we know that you know there's more steps to come, but we've got to hang on to the Lord and also learn to trust him and get to know him. We have to taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Dear listener, we pray that for you as well, and we look forward to catching up with you next time. God bless. God bless. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.